if you have a business partner who is an expert in something and you're not, which is the case for us, like we're both good at the opposite things, like let that person be the expert. Like, you know, like just because someone initially came up with the idea or just because someone thinks they have a good marketing idea, like doesn't mean it is a good marketing idea. Like hmm. in our case, my, my co-founder is a brilliant designer and a brilliant marketer. And if, if there was like one thing I could be like, Zach, just go back and like, just shut up about is like, just let him do his thing. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here at The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the in, uh, serial entrepreneur that uh, has grown several businesses, the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the CEO of uh, Miller IP Law, where we uh, help startups and small businesses with patents and trademarks. And uh, today we have another great guest on the episode. His name is Zach, or Zant Franz. If I say, do I say it Franz? Is that right? Franz. Franz. Plus, France, okay. France, however you have the, the accent, I'll go with France. Um, <laughs> and uh, he is the uh, owner of Highside Coffee, and he'll tell a little bit more about his journey, but just to get wet your whistle just a little bit. So he, you, if I remember when we talked a little bit before, you actually started your first business when you were nine years old using Yahoo, or Yahoo, Yahoo Geosites, um, and you've always kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur, and you also had a love of coffee, um, started out with some side hustles, ended up uh, now jumping into the, this full-time, and uh, that's a, just a very brief intro to, the, to your journey that you'll tell a lot more, so welcome to the podcast, Zach. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Devin. Uh, yeah, and you know, to, to your point, I started my entrepreneurial journey when I was about nine years old. I, I was always cooking when I was uh, young. With I loved to make cakes, probably just because I, I like sugar, which makes sense. And so I, I started my first business, uh, an e-commerce business, when I was nine. So that would have been in 1999. I, I probably could have gotten some investment money <laughs> now <laughs> that I'm thinking that about it. Before the dot-com bust. So I, I, I honestly probably could have gotten like a million dollars just by having uh, a website on Yahoo GeoCities. Um, selling cakes. So I, I, I was an e-commerce entrepreneur in, in 99 as, as a nine-year-old. Um, I only ever sold one cake to my neighbor. So it wasn't even from my acquisition efforts, apparently. But <laughs> that was really the start of my journey. And since then, I've, I've tried to start a couple of different things. Um, not, nothing ever really worked out, um, but that's, that's standard. And about nine, 10 months ago, um, a, a buddy and I, so it is important. I'm not the only owner. I'm one of the co-founders. Um, I, I owe a lot of credit to my other co-founder, Shay. Um, he's been a, a friend of mine for about 15 or 20 years. Mm. And we're, we're both campers. We love to travel outdoors, things like that. And we were just really frustrated with the fact that when you go camping, you have all this equipment and then you have to bring a French press or a pour over and you get grinds everywhere. It's just, it's, it's a very cumbersome process. And we were just surprised that no one had solved this problem before. Um, neither of us are coffee nerds or coffee connoisseurs by any means that we're definitely much more um, involved. And we understand coffee a lot more now, but at the time we just were two, two guys that liked coffee and, and thought that there was other people that probably had this problem too. And so we thought, how else could you solve this problem? And it just seemed weird that no one had put coffee into a tea bag before. Um, it turns out there are like a handful, like less than five companies that actually do it. Um, and they're not very big. And so we thought this was a good opportunity to have a really cool brand 
and to try to make this this concept an idea and a company. And so we've been doing it since last, we actually went down to Guatemala to meet farmers, um, some coffee farmers in November of last year. And then two months later, we actually launched the business in January and weird time to start a business, but things are actually going really well. Okay. So, and we'll jump back to where you're at today, but you did, as you know, this is the inventive journey. So we have to talk a little bit more about your journey. So you went from nine years old, jumped over everything and went back to it today. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey? So that period between the nine years old to jumping to where you're at today, what was that kind of the journey? Because, you know, what we try and uh, too often when you watch, whether it's the movies or the read the book and that, you get the highlight reels, right? You get to hear, yeah. oh, yeah, we had some troubles and we're now a big success. And you never yeah. really hear all the yeah. struggles or all the journey that it took to get there. So why don't you fill us in a little bit, that period that kind of between the, non, uh, the things that didn't work or the, the journey that you took to get from nine to where you're at today? Yeah. So like the 20 years between nine and 29, basically. Exactly. Um, yeah. So like I said, there was, there was, a, there was a, a number of like little things. So like, for example, one of them was my, my buddy and I, this is probably, we were, I think I was in ninth grade. We wanted to start a, a shirt business. We called it Emperor's Clothes because like Emperor's Clothes for naked people. So we wanted to make a shirt company <laughs> called Emperor's Clothes. Like it, it didn't go anywhere. Um, and then with that same friend, we, I don't, I think we bought like. But did it never go, did you sell any Emperor's Clothes or did you, it was it like the Emperor's Clothes or there was nothing? There were shirts, and I don't – I think we may have sold a couple. Um, <laughs> hey, that it, is more than the cake business and only sold one, so you were moving in the right direction? Yeah, we're, we're moving in the right direction. There, with that same friend, we, we bought – this is this is weird. We bought a bunch of purses off eBay, and we had, had this whole website, and then his, his dad was a business owner. He eventually just bought them from us. So we actually sold out of our, our inventory on that one. Um, and <laughs> I right. think, like, like, the commonality really – I'll get to like one other that was actually like a little bit more successful, but really um, I think for me, there's always been a thought of like, I, I'm much more motivated when it's my own thing. Mm. And I think if I'm talking to like any entrepreneur or someone who's like thinking about starting a business, I think it really has to come from a genuine passion of like, I'm trying to solve my own problem because this is just my opinion. I think people are much more passionate about solving their own problem then they are about solving a problem that doesn't really impact them. Mm. And so in some way it has to like strike a chord in you, whether it's like a social mission, which could strike a chord in someone, or for me, it was a, uh, it was, I was solving my own problem for when I was camping. Mm. And, and I think that that's where I've talked to some people and they're like, Oh, I want to start a business, but I, I don't know what to do. And my advice to them is always just, what what's frustrating in your life because if it's frustrating for you it's frustrating for like at least a million other people and like that's really you probably don't even need a million people to have a fairly successful business um and then my most recent business was um actually we i i was importing mini kegs from china these like one gallon mini kegs and i mm. called it the beer barrel and i just like i literally just threw them up on amazon and within like a month, I was selling a few a day just hmm. from my house. I was gross profiting 50 bucks on each one of these. Hmm. Um, and then it turns out there was like some patent issues and I kind of learned a lot about trademarks and patents and how China sometimes doesn't really care about those things and they'll sell you anything. Yeah, it's probably more than sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> um, 
So yeah. one question. So you, you, so you started at nine years old and we got to nine or ninth grade and you did that. And then, so did you go off to college? Did you get a degree? Did you, has this been a, always doing your own startups, small businesses? Has this been more of a side hustle that you finally grown to something you can do? Or kind of how did you make that transition from during those 20 years from education to work to income to now where you're at? Good, good question. So uh, went to school, went, grew up, um, went to college in San Diego. I went to San Diego State. Um, I was part of a co-ed professional business fraternity called Alpha Kappa Psi. I got to do some pretty entrepreneurial things there. Mm. Um, like actually put together a really big golf tournament that we had never really done before. We raised $17,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, and so got my education there. I actually got a, a, my business major with a specialization in entrepreneurship. So mm. uh, continuing up on that education there. Um, and then I... I was applying for software sales jobs, but I, I thought I, and I still, I, I thought I wanted to do sales and I still do sales actually now as my, as my day job. Mm. And, but I, I knew I wanted to work for a startup. And so I was applying to a bunch of different companies in San Diego. And I actually found an opportunity here in Utah with a company that my uncle was investing in. It was a 10 person company. It was a software company down in Provo. And when I was like, yeah, we'll give you a sales job if you want to move to Utah. I had been to Utah one time for two days and I, on the phone. I was like, cool, let's do it. And all my friends were like, Utah, like that's where the Mormons live, dude. Like they have like weird alcohol laws there. And I was like, I don't know, like whatever. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'll take a lot of risks like that. That's, this is an area in my life. I'll take a lot of risks. Like I moved to Utah. I didn't know, I didn't really, I didn't know anyone went and worked for a startup we grew that company from about from 10 people to like 160 in three and a half years. And then, you know, like some startups, it, it did it. We, we had our struggles mm. left there, went to another software startup called big squid. I was so there. If I, if I pressed you just a little, so you had your struggles, does that mean that it went under or that it didn't stop growth or you just got bored of it or kind of, cause you know, what, how did that transition go? Yeah. So it, the company is still around. Mm. Um, but not quite in the same form. Like we were kind of going like this and then it kind of was going like this. And then they ended up doing like an aqua merger with another company. And that was after I had left, there was a lot of attrition, product problems, cultural problems. Mm. Um, I think a lot of those things were now worked out fortunately. Um, but, but, but there were, there was, there was scaling issues. Mm. Um, there was a, one of the investors was from, had his roots um, in door-to-door security sales. So um, vivid. And so it was kind of that kind of culture. And there never, we didn't really build any processes around like our sales process or our onboarding process, or um, there, it, it was just very sales driven and not a lot of product driven. And mm-hmm. so those types of things really caught up with us as we started to grow. Okay. Makes so sense. definitely a, a lesson learned there is growth is great, um, but you have to support it with the infrastructure and the processes and people who are absolute experts in their field who have been there and done that um, because you can kind of get away with not a ton of process by adding people to the problem, but eventually you can't add people to the problem. Like it, the people actually, even if they're smart people will confound the problem because you don't have a process. Mm. Um, and so from there, I went to a software company called big squid. 
Hmm. Um, which is a machine learning startup uh, based in downtown here in Salt Lake. And there was about 20 employees when I was there. I was there for almost four years. Um, that probably grew to about 60. Um, again, we had some product challenges, product market fit, um, had to do quite a bit of layoffs. I, I, I was, I was one of, I was the sales leader there. So I, I was okay through those sale or through those lay, the, that layoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last Jan or I guess January, so seven months ago, I decided it was time for me to leave there. I just didn't see a big, a big opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then COVID hit, they had to do some additional layoffs and there was some acquisition or there was some type of transition there with, um, with a, a large tech, technology company That's what I'll say about that. Um, so I think if I'm looking at some of the commonalities, it is really about matching up process and product market fit. Like you can have the best salespeople in the world, or you can have the best vision in the world, but if you're not listening to your customers and like really just narrowing down on like just a couple of things that you're going to just absolutely crush for your customers, it's going to be really hard to scale or grow your business. You can't be everything for everyone. Um, and I think you can have your initial vision, but if you're not backing that up with constant customer feedback, eventually the customers are going to move in another direction. I think that's what happened with both of these software companies. The initial product was really, really cool. Mm. But what happened is like three years later, the, if the, the product was still the same and more or less the same, in mm-hmm. both situations and the market had shifted. Okay. And so, so you're, oh, you're still trying to like tell the same story three years later when it's just not resonating as much. Okay. No, that makes good sense. So one question or kind of one question. So seven months ago you decided, Hey, we're going to make this jump. We're going to make, is that when you made the jump full time over to high side coffee or did you still, or, or when, or how did that kind of or, uh, or a shift go? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, I, so Sorry, I should have finished the story. So seven months ago, I went to a very large software company called Nice and Contact, mm. 7,000 people, pu- publicly traded global company. Mm. Um, and I'm still there. So I'm basically, I'm almost full-time with HiSide in nights and weekends. And I have a full-time software job right now. Um, and I took that job because of, because of the stability. Um, the guy who hired me actually had worked at Big Squid prior. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I wanted a, I wanted a different feel because I had been at two software startups that, you know, it just, they were cool, but I wanted some stability. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm still in the startup world, but now I just have this other, I have my full-time software sales job as well. So one, cause I, and I think that, and I, I, I fully get that in the sense that, you know, that's part of, I, I've started several startups and small businesses and for a while there, I did that while I was working a full-time job at other law firms and doing other things because, you know, it, it, it is difficult when you're looking at a startup or small business saying, hey, I think this will go or I think there's an opportunity here. But I also have responsibilities. You may have whether it's student loans or it's a mortgage or it's a car or it's family and kids or whatever it is. And sometimes, you know, you always, you know, sometimes you, you watch like the Shark Tanks or other shows and they're saying, you just need to be all in. And they're like, yeah, I need to be all in. I am all in, but I still have to be able to pay my bills while we grow the company. So, you know, how do you, how do you make that juggle or how do you make that, you know, make that work to where you've got really, you know, one job that, you know, is a a steady full-time paying job. And then you've got the side hustle, which is also what you really enjoy. How do you make that balance or how do you make that, you know, work between both of them? 
so the way that the way that this has gone is my business partner and I we have a a kind of a unique way on splitting the equity, and it's it's actually a, a fluctuating. Um, it's actually a fluctuating scale, depending on how much money we put in, depending on how much time we put in. Mm. It, we got it from a book called, I think it's Splitting the Pie. It's something like that. It's like, you can literally read the whole book in one hour. But basically, you assign a theoretical dollar per hour, and then you write down how, how many hours you work and how much money you put in, and then you fit, and then that tells you how much percentage of the business you get. Mm. Um, and so th the way that we've decided is that I was going to put uh, the majority of the money in, um, and I put a, a, a lot of time into it. Um, and then Shay, my business partner, he primarily just puts his time into it. And so the way that we split the equity is compensatory for the time and the money. Um, but when it comes to like having a full-time job and my own company, I mean, the first thing is it takes a lot of discipline because I, I love the company that I work for. It's a great company, but I'm so passionate about my own company. So I have to like really be focused on like, Hey, I have like my day job. I need to go do that. And then when it's time to, and then, you know, at a certain point in time, it's like, okay, now I'm going to do my other job. Now I'm going to do my, my coffee business. Um, I think there are some people that maybe they would be able to have the financial resources to just jump in and, and do it full time. Mm -hmm. And if I had that, I, I would do it. Um, but my wife and I were just not in the position to like make that full-time jump. Um, fortunately, like I, I think, you know, I think the business will be in a really solid place, um, you know, sometime next year and, and we'll, we'll potentially be able to do that. Um, but I, I, I think it's about being willing to put in 80, 90, a hundred hours a week if you have to. Mm -hmm. And that it's just the way it is. Like you either, if you're passionate enough to put all the time into it, then you're going to be that much more motivated to make it work. Um, oh, I, I think it's different for every entrepreneur, but it's just the situation that I'm in. I, I just have to do both and you know, that's okay. So one question I'd ask you, and it's because it's going kind of along that same vein, you have a lot of startups, small businesses, people that are doing side hustles, people that are juggling multiple jobs you know, so how do you, or how will you, cause you're still in the process decide when, okay, I built high side coffee big enough or it's grown enough or it's in a stage that I can jump over full time. Is that, you know, how do you make that? I, you know, do, do you set a goal for it makes so much income or we have so much sales or it's on a certain trajectory or what is kind of your goals and when do you think that you'll make that transition? And I get you're, you know, basically working two full-time jobs, but how do you make that? Okay. This is my, this is when I make that full transition. Yeah. So we have, we have four people. So it's myself, my co-founder. Um, and then there's two other people uh, that are good friends with my co-founder who are, um, who are working with us and we're all, none of us are being paid right now. Hmm. Um, and so when I'm thinking about this, the first thing is I want to make sure that those other two people are paid first. So hmm. I will pay them. I'll say we will pay them before we'll pay ourselves. Hmm. So that's like the first consideration is can we pay someone and we'll pay those two people. Hmm. Um, and then after that, it's really looking at what is the bare minimum amount of money that I can take to live with the, you know, the job that my wife has and then our expenses, like not saving anything for retirement, like putting all plans on hold. What's the bare minimum that I can take to make the jump. And then 
so let, I don't know, let's say I need $2,000 a month from the business. I, I have no, I don't know that that's the number, but let's just say. All right. Hypothetically. Um, hypothetically. If, if my expenses minus my wife's income is $2,000. Um, if there's, if there's, let's say four or five months that we had $2,000 left over, then I think that that would be a good opportunity to, to make the jump. But there, there does need to be a little bit of consistency to know that, Hey, I'm going to be able to make this, this is going to happen. And I'm not in like in two months or three months, I'm not going to go having to go find another full-time job. I think that's the biggest thing is when I make the jump, it has to be like, I'm not going to be running back very quickly. Like there has to be a little bit of security um, that it's going to be sustainable. Hmm. No, and I think it's, it's a hard, because I mean, I think everybody has their different standards, right? In the sense that, you know, people I know, some of it is, okay, I have to have so much cash reserves. And if I have, you know, six months runway of cash reserves, I'll make the, the jump. Other yeah. times it's, hey, does it have a reoccurring revenue that's such that after, you know, that I can say, oh, for the last five months or six months, it's made this much. And while we don't have the cash reserves, I could pay out of the reoccurring revenue. And some people are just saying, to your point, I have enough saved up. I think it's going to make a go of it. And it's a hard transition or it's a hard t- a decision to make, I think, sometimes in the sense that, you know, sometimes you're looking at it and saying, really, I want, this is what I want to do. And I think you can make a go of it, but I don't know. And that uncertainty can kind of pull you back. I think the other question I'd throw out or the one that I think that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, do I pay myself first or I pay other people first, right? And it's, it's a hard thing in the sense that, hey, I've been here since the beginning. I've been the one that's put in the blood, sweat, and tears. And, you know, I'm starting to pay other people. They're making it come off my job, and yet I'm not. So, it's, you know, I think it's, you know, it's a hard balance, and everybody has to kind of come to their own conclusion. So I, I fully get that. Well, one other thing that I think you mentioned, and, and you brought it up, and I always shy away from it because I don't want to make this about, you know, IP or anything that I do. But you did mention a little bit about trademarks and confusion and, and IP throughout your journey. So maybe if you want to just share a little bit kind of about how that all overlays within what you've done. Yeah, so the first product or that 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 beer barrel the beer barrel company. Mm. I mean, I just figured, oh, cool, this is on Alibaba. I must be good to go. Like, I, I had no idea, right? And then the people who own the product, they were like, you can't do this. And basically, we fought back and forth, and I lost a bunch of money. Mm. Um, that was dumb. So. Fast forward to high side, we were initially cult coffee, like you're going to go join a cult. Hmm. Um, and unbeknownst to us, there was a company called Coffee Cult with two Ks. Hmm. So when we were doing our research, we just didn't think to put a K in it. Um, and so we, they actually reached out to us. This was probably in maybe in April. So like four months-ish into it. Hmm. Um, and they were like, hey, you can't do this. Like, and because they had seen that we had filed for, um, for a, a trademark. So they got notified. Um, and we looked at it. We talked to our lawyer who we should have, we should have gotten a lawyer initially. Like, it's funny how sometimes when you try to skimp out on expenses, it ends up being much more expensive later. And again, not a plug for Miller IP law whatsoever, but I would definitely spend more legal money on legal work up front. Then on the back, on, on the front end, not on the back end. <laughs> Always more expensive in the back. I laugh at that just because that's how. But it, it's not an uncommon thing for startup because you're saying, "Oh, we only got so much budget, we'll be fine, or we can figure this out." And sometimes you can, and I, I get that. 
And yeah. on the other hand, when you, when you do run into those, it's a whole lot more expensive on the back end than doing it on the front end. Yeah. Now, yeah, so what happened is the guy sent us a cease and desist. We talked to him. He wouldn't budge. And, and we knew. We're like, we're never going to win this. It's literally the same name but reversed. Mm. Like, we're never – this is never going to – it's not even worth the time or the effort. So we, so we rebranded. And honestly, the rebrand was the best thing that ever happened to us. Our name is much better now. Our brand is much better now. And, and it was great before. Uh, but it's like 10 times better now. Um, so I think one of the things with entrepreneurship and this is probably just life advice in general is when you, when, when really like shitty things happen, I don't know if I can say that on the podcast, but there's usually a silver lining behind Mm. it. You just have to take advantage of it. And Mm. especially if you're an entrepreneur and in a startup, bad things or unfortunate or frustrating things are going to happen to you literally every single day. And you either have to decide, I'm not even going to worry about that. Like, it just doesn't even matter because there's a million things that I, I could worry about. Or if it's like a big enough thing, like find a way to like turn it, turn it into a positive. Like with our, our, our rebrand, yes, it cost us money, but we were actually able to dump all of our inventory, basically mm-hmm. all of it. Um, we donated a bunch to like COVID relief efforts, um, but we actually ended up selling basically all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a brand that was way better. Um, so it definitely turned out for us. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm kind of glad it happened. Um, but, and I think that whether or not it's always a good thing, and, I, and sometimes it does to your point and, and long story that I won't, you know, again, not on my story, but you know, one of the previous businesses I was with, we got a frivolous lawsuit that was filed against us. And it doesn't matter if it's a good lawsuit or if it's a frivolous one. In this case, it was, you think, Oh, I'm an attorney. Well, it still costs a lot of time, money and effort to deal with frivolous <laughs> lawsuits. And so, you know, we fast forward, we ended up fighting, we went back and forth. This is over the period of probably a year. And yet at the end of that, we made an acquisition, we actually acquired the people that filed the lawsuit, folded it into our company, and it was it worked out to be significantly better. It was, it was a great opportunity. We bought it for pennies on the dollar of what they were doing. And we got a great opportunity. But again, it was one that during that period of time, it was a horrible experience. I would didn't want to I wouldn't want to ever go relive that. But yeah. you made it through and you look for the opportunity. And I think sometimes you can turn bad opportunities into good. And other times as an entrepreneur, you almost just have to say, well, you know what? Sometimes you, what distinguishes somebody that makes a startup go from someone that just, you know, the other, all the failures you always hear about is oftentimes making your way through it or figuring your way through. So I think that's a, you know, a great insight for a lot of people to learn with. Well, as we're reaching the end of the podcast, and I always get, mo- almost always get to the end of these, and I wish there was about another hour or two to talk through things. Yeah. Um, and we we probably have plenty of things that we would find interesting that everybody else would probably find boring. But so as we wrap it up, um, I always ask two questions at the end and you've kind of hit on some of these. So it may be a little bit of a rehash, but I always ask my two questions at the end. So the first question I always ask is what was the worst business decision you ever made? All right. So I'll say besides for not doing our research upfront on legal issues. Hmm. And just one other thing I'll I'll say on, on legal issues they're scary, so, but they don't have to be scary. They, they, they try to scare you. Mm. Um, also, don't let your ego get too involved because legal situations are weird. So just get, <laughs> get a good lawyer that will like help you kind of calm down on both, on both angles. Mm. Um, so besides for that, I will say it was – this wasn't like a one decision, I'll say, um, but a, 
maybe like a series of decisions, which is when you're starting a business with a partner or multiple partners, mm. it's super, super critical to set expectations upfront. So like expectations around who's making what decisions, mm. what decisions can be made unilaterally and what decisions need to be made collectively. That's like one of the, the struggles that, that we've had um, and we're working out, which is like, Hey, if it's a day-to-day thing, cause I do sales, I'm primarily sales and operations and he's marketing and branding. So mm. think like those two sides of the business, basically. Um, what are the things that I, that, that I can just do? And what are the things that we need, we need to do together? And sometimes I'll make a decision that I should have involved him on and he'll make a decision that he should have involved me on. And it gets very frustrating um, on both of our ends. And I'm probably more at fault than it, in it than he is. Um, so initially you need to have a good understanding of who's going to do what. So there's no like misunderstandings. Um, and, I, so, and I would just add on to that because I think, and I, but I think, I think it's a good lesson to learn and one that a lot of people make in the sense that when you jump into it, you're excited about something that's going and you both think, oh, we'll just both work hard and it'll work out. And yet it can often tie, and, and a lot of times everybody does work hard, but if you don't have that clear understanding of what it means for you to work hard, what it means for you know somebody else to work hard, what time they have available, what funds they have available, it can create a lot yeah. of heartburn that's unanticipated or not unnecessary, and yet happens from the issue of it wasn't discussed up front. Yeah, and I would say the other thing, and this is kind of like a, this is related, which is if you have a business partner who is an expert in something and you're not, which is the case for us, like we're both good at the opposite things, like let that person be the expert. Like, you know, like just because someone initially came up with the idea or just because someone thinks they have a good marketing idea, like doesn't mean it is a good marketing idea. Like hmm. in our case, my, my co-founder is a brilliant designer and a brilliant marketer. And if, if there was like one thing I could be like, Zach, just go back and like, just shut up about is like, just let him do his thing. Like he's amazing at it. Mm. Um, and so I would say just like, let the experts be experts, whether it's like your co-founder or if you're hiring someone, like mm. I, spe- I would almost say, especially if you're hiring someone, like they're coming onto your business and you should be hiring someone to tell you what to do, not the other way around. I think that, that, that I think that's a Steve Jobs quote actually. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I would say just expectations, roles and responsibilities, and then let the experts be experts and have them tell you what to do. Perfect. Well, you probably just answered, so I'll skip my second, which was also, which is typically, what's the one piece of advice you'd give us uh, someone that's getting into a startup or small business? I think that answers it perfectly. So um, awesome. Well, I think that that was a fun journey to hear. And I think it's one that there's certainly a lot of people can learn from. So as people, whether they want to buy your product, learn more about it, reach out to you, invest in you, be an employee of yours or anything in between or anything of that nature. What's the best way to connect up with you or reach out to you? Yeah. So you can go to our website. If you want to check out the products, www.highsidecoffee.com, just H I G H S I D E coffee.com. If you want to talk about employment, first of all, you'd have to be willing to work for free. So if you want to work for free, hey, we're in. Um, um, or if you want to talk about anything else besides for check out the products, if you want advice, if you want to, whatever. Um, Zach, Z-A-C-H at highsidecoffee.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me.
All right. Well, I hope you get a whole bunch of free employees. That, if you find a whole bunch of free employees, I want to. I want in on that because I want a whole bunch of free employees too. No. You know, we're. I, I think we're good on the free employee thing for now. I I would love to start paying people sometime in the very near future. It, it would be amazing. Fair enough. Well, cool. Well, I uh, certainly encourage everybody to check out uh, Highside Coffee and uh, get reach out to you if they have any questions or want to learn more and uh, become customers. Um, and so thank you again for coming on the podcast. Um, for any of you that are, have a great journey to tell that are wanting to tell your journey, always feel free. If you'd like to apply to be on the podcast, you can go to inventivejourneyguest.com and uh, apply to be on. And uh, for those of you that are listeners and want to make sure to catch these episodes and all the future episodes, make sure to subscribe with whichever podcast listener you listen to. And uh, certainly if you need any help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us. We're always there to help startups and small businesses. So Zach, thank you again for coming on. It was fun to hear your journey. Wish you the next part or part of your journey even better than the last. And uh, we look forward to seeing how things go for you. Awesome. Thanks, Devin.